It's good to see you here this morning again. Welcome to Genesis. Uh, if you're here for the first time, my name's Sam. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's, uh, again, great to see you here. And I hope you guys are following us on Instagram, on Facebook, to see what's current. Uh, we're trying to keep those things going. So if you're wondering, well, what's happening today? Maybe you can check those things out, or if you're checking them regularly, you'll know. But anyway, this morning, excited to start a new series. We're going to be starting a series entitled Believe. And today is our first one. So if you're here for the first time and you came to the first one, how great is that? Now you can be here for all of them. Hey, yeah, great idea. Um, But it's, again, good to see you guys here this morning. Um, And let's pause. Let's take a moment to pray and ask for... God's work to take place among us as we begin. Father, we thank you for a a beautiful morning, Lord. Uh, Just glorious to see the the sky and the mountains and all the things that you've created and to recognize, Lord, that we are a part of that amazing work. And we ask that this morning your work would continue in us even as we look at these things of what it means to have faith and what it looks like. May we be challenged, may we be encouraged, and may we see you more clearly. We do pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we talk about faith, faith is kind of a religious word for belief. Really, it's something that we see as important, but we want to know what does it look like? Why is it so important? And we're going to go through a series of talks that look at faith and examples of it in Scripture, but today I wanted to kind of lay a foundation of what faith is about and why it is so important. There was an incident in the Gospels where Jesus' disciples were trying to deliver a person who was possessed with a demon in Matthew chapter 17, and they couldn't do it. And so they went to Jesus and they said, why can't we do this? And Jesus responded to them and he said, you of little faith. And then he went on and he told them, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, You can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, I don't know what you do when you hear something like that. You think, oh my gosh, man, if I just had faith. And what we see here is that Jesus isn't saying you need a lot of faith. You just need a little faith in the right thing, because Faith requires a subject. We don't just have faith in faith. We have faith in something. Right now, you have faith in the chair that you're sitting in. You have to, otherwise you wouldn't be sitting in it. You see, you have faith in something. You have faith in maybe your employees at work or maybe your husband or maybe your wife. And it's not wrong to have faith in things and other things, but Faith requires something. And what Jesus starts to tell us is that you don't need a lot of faith if it is in the right thing. And so the important thing is so we see that we have faith in the right 
things. And that's what we want to look at throughout this conversation that we're having. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is known for faith. It's kind of the red bull of the Bible. I mean, you get through this chapter and it's kind of going to energize you into these things that we look at. And we'll probably be going through this chapter quite a bit. But we're going to start in chapter 11, starting at verse 1. We'll read through verse 6. But I need to get there first. I had another passage in mind. And so, the writer of Hebrews says, chapter 11, not 1. Sorry about this. Okay. What's going on? Stop it. Stop it. Okay. <laughs> it says, no, you stop it. I'm trying, I'm trying. Technology, without it, we'd be happy. Okay, Hebrews chapter 1. Sorry about that. It kept taking me chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed out of God, at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commanded for as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. As we look at this passage, we see that there is something about faith that it is evidence for things that we hope for. It's the substance of things that we don't yet have. And it's interesting because the idea of God working in this area of things that are yet unseen is something that makes us, at least makes me, a little bit uneasy. By faith, God made the universe from what was unseen. What we see was made from what was unseen. Now, we usually think if it's unseen, then it didn't exist. And if you're dealing in the scientific arena, what science says is you cannot create something from nothing, even though that's kind of their premise about creation, that everything that we see began from nothing. But that's not what we're being told in Scripture. We're not being told that everything was created from nothing, we're being told that everything that we can see was created from what was unseen. Because God created it, and so it began in the mind of God. 
for lack of a better terminology. It was visible to God, but it was invisible, and then God spoke it, and it became visible to us. And this shouldn't be a surprise to us because there's a lot of things that we experience that become visible even though they are invisible. You do it all the time. Maybe you're not aware of it. Ideas. Have you ever had a great idea? No. (laughs) Imagine, you know, maybe there's some thought. I used to always think of these things like I'm going to invent this. And you don't want to tell anyone because if you tell them, then they'll steal your invention, right? And so it never gets invented because you never step into that. But I want all of you to think of that idea, this great idea you've had or have or that you plan on having, right? Everyone's got that idea? Okay, right now next to you, they're thinking about something. Steal their idea. Can't. Why? It's invisible, But if you were to start acting on that thought, you could bring what's invisible actually into something that is visible. Your cell phone. This was someone's idea. Way back when, the idea looked a lot bigger. It was like a brick. (laughs) But it began as an idea. And we do this all along. I remember when I, I started dating my wife when I started, actually when I liked her, before we started dating, I was seeing the invisible. See, my invisible was, she's going to like me. And we're going to have a life together. That was the thoughts I had. But I had to create those things into a reality. See, if I just sat there and think, yeah, I'm dreaming, I'm smiling, and then that's all I do, it never becomes a reality. It's never something that would be seen. And I had to make it a reality. Because I would walk her to her car and then there would be notes left on her car from strangers saying, I saw you and you're beautiful. I'm wondering if you could call me. (laughs) And that wasn't the reality I was seeing, okay? That was a different reality. I didn't like that reality. And so I had to create the one that I wanted. And all these things were something that were taking place. It was invisible. And then it became a reality in my life. And so we are challenged here to have faith in a God that we can't see. And many times that's something that's difficult for us. It's something that challenges us. And as we look in Scripture, those people who had faith, it led them into some pretty uncomfortable things. I don't know what comes into your mind when you hear the word faith. What picture is there? But if it's something nice and secure, it's probably the wrong picture because there's nothing comfortable about faith. That's the whole definition. It's something you don't yet have. It's hoped for. It's something that you don't see. And so that usually makes us a little bit uneasy. Abraham, who's known as the father of faith. What did faith look like for Abraham? God said, I want you to leave your home, your family, and everything you're comfortable with and know and go to a place that I'm not going to tell you about yet. That doesn't sound too comfortable. Moses, Moses, I want you to go back to a place where you're wanted for murder. 
And I want you to lead these people, millions of them, who don't know who you are out of slavery. And go ahead, take care of it. Elijah, I want you to go before 450 prophets of Baal, and I want you to do a God challenge with them and call fire down from heaven. Peter, I want you to go to that man who's crippled, and I want you to pick him up and say, in the name of Jesus, walk. Anyone ready for something like that? Paul, I want you to go and take this great message of God's love and deliverance to the entire world and change the world by what you have to say. These are all examples of faith. And I don't know about you, when I hear these examples, I get a little bit uneasy. It makes me a little bit nervous. Like maybe I don't want faith. Maybe I want to stay in my home and comfortable. Maybe I don't want to go and deliver millions of people. Maybe I don't want to pick up a guy who can't walk because what if he doesn't walk and he falls back down? And what if I go and talk to people about this message and they don't listen? And so why would God ask us to believe in this faith? Why is it something that is required of us? Why is it that without this, it's impossible to please him? Why do I need something that is so difficult for me? And you see, I don't think it was always difficult, but I think it became difficult. And that's where we have the struggles because of what has happened. So turn to Genesis chapter 3. And you guys know the story. It's something that you've heard many times or are familiar with. And in Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 1, we see, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. I wonder what were they opened to? And they realized they were naked. So that they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, well, it was the woman's fault, and we go from there. (laughs) And what we see happening in this place, in this dynamic, is that there is 
a change that takes place inside these people, Adam and Eve, in their relationship with God. And the scriptures tells us that if you eat this from the fruit of this tree, you will die. But it doesn't look like they died because they're still talking to God. Usually dead people don't talk. So what happened? What changed? What were their eyes open to? And when their eyes were open to their nakedness, were their eyes closed to something else? You see, we, we see through this story that there was a break. Something took place in humanity that severed this relationship with God. So at one point, they were alive in God and they were in relationship with God and the things that were invisible to them were clearly seen. The relationship that they had was alive and powerful. And it wasn't that, or it isn't that we can no longer, you know, faith is so hard for us to see and so hard for us to understand. It's just that something has changed and now we are blind to it. The dynamic of the relationship that was once there and was once obvious is now changed so that it's not obvious. You know, a person who is blind does not mean that those things they cannot see do not exist. A person who is deaf doesn't mean that sound doesn't exist. It just means they are unable to hear it. They are unable to see it. If you're colorblind, it doesn't mean that there aren't colors there. It just means you are unable to see them. And what's happened to us and why faith is needed is because there is a dynamic with God that exists, but now we are unable to experience it because of what has taken place in humanity and that it affects us. And so faith is required to believe. Faith is required to see what is invisible, to hear what is unhearable, to know what is unknowable. And unless we do these things, we don't experience what is imaginable. Because it's impossible to connect to God and to please God unless we believe that he's there, unless we believe in what we cannot see. That's asking too much for me. It's like asking a blind person to see the sunset. I I can't do it. You need faith to do it. And unless you have faith, unless you believe in God that he's there and he rewards those, what does he reward us with? He rewards us with the ability to see, with the ability to hear, with the ability to know, with the ability to experience his working in our life. I want to be a person like Paul, like Peter, Like Moses, oh man, it would be so incredible to be like these men of faith. Then you need 
to see what can't be seen. You need to believe that it's there. And not only believe it, you need to sit and trust it. You need to make the motion that it is a reality that you live in. And that's a difficult thing for us because of that break that has taken place. You you see, it's not that God is far away and we need to have a lot of faith to believe that he's there. It's God is everywhere. We are swimming in his presence, but we are unaware of it. And that's exactly what Paul told them in Acts. He said, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And so we need to earnestly seek what we can't see. We, we need to seek, Jesus said, and you will find, ask, and it will be given to you, knock, and the door will be open. Because whoever seeks, finds. Whoever asks, receives. Whoever knocks, it is open to them. He says that with such assurance. Because it is a reality that we are living in, but we are not experiencing it unless... We believe, unless we have faith. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. As Paul is talking and trying to bring an understanding of the reality of God to us, says in verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And what he's saying is the world around us is groaning. We we see the travail. We see that there is problems here. And we ourselves experience that. We know what it's like to, to think and have a desire that is bigger than ourselves that we don't yet obtain. We know what it's like to want to be something that we aren't. We know what it's like to have an idea, but yet not to see it. We are stuck in this Genesis chapter 3 condition this broken, this fallen condition. And so we we see these things and we're waiting for a change when I will actually be able to see what I know, but I can't see. Verse 24, for this hope, for this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And so hope is something, again, we see is always future tense. In Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the future that I have for you, says the Lord. One that is of hope, a promise, a future. Hope and future are connected together. It's something we don't have, but it's something we believe in. Something that we see is still there. 
Verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For God foreknew For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And as we read these words, we see that if we would believe the invisible, even As little as a mustard seed. If we believed these things were true, how would they change how we lived? If I believed that God was really for me and nothing could be against me, if I was not to be afraid of those who were persecuting me and Paul was living in a time of intense persecution, we can't even compare it. If I were really to believe these things, that nothing can separate me from this love that God has, then how would it change my life? The things that I'm living in, the future that I believe God wants to fulfill in and through me. Would I live different if I really believed this? Because really what we need to do is see that how we live is showing us what we believe, not the other way around. Well, you need to believe and then you'll change. No, how you believe is being seen in what you do. You see, if you don't pray, it's because you really don't believe that God is hearing, cares, is going to answer that prayer. I'm not saying it to put us down. It's just the reality. If you don't want to step out into those things that you believe would be the right choices for you to make, the right things for you to do, then it's really showing you that you don't believe that it's going to be okay. 
And so you'll make a different choice because that's what you believe. I don't see it. I don't believe it. And here Paul is saying, nothing can separate us from the love of God who has given that love to us clearly in Christ. Nothing on heaven and earth, things present or the future, can stop God from fulfilling his purpose in and through you. Do you believe that? And if you do, the challenge is, how are you showing it? How are you trusting it, sitting in it, making yourself at home in that place? Because if we don't, it's impossible to please God. We will never see the miraculous if we will never step into the place of belief. Another passage in John chapter 20. An instant that we're familiar with, again, that I think is a great example. And one that I identify with, at least in part, because I'm kind of with him here. John chapter 20, verse 24, it says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. Now, I'm with Thomas, okay? This is kind of where I would say, yeah, you tell me this, great, that's good for you. I want to see this. And then a week later, I love it, it's not the next day, God kind of shows up a week later. You know, it's like, why wouldn't you just show up the next day, God, and make this happen? No, it's a week later, it's like he's not in a hurry for things to take place. But a week later, the disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. The doors were locked and Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you, which is something you have to say when you show up in a room where the doors are locked, okay? If you were to say something like, boo, you would freak everyone out, okay? He shows up and he says, peace be with you. And they still freaked out as I would, as you would. Says, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here, see my hands, reach out your hand, put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. Man, why would Jesus be so hard on Thomas? Why is it so important that we believe in what we yet can see? Because it's who we believe in. It's the faith that we have in the God who is able to work all things out for our good. It's the faith in the God who neither height nor depth, things present or things to come, can separate us from his love. A a few weeks back, when we were going through our Momentum series, I had a conversation afterwards about uh, one of the topics that we were on, and just 
the idea here was, okay, how do I move forward when I'm living in this circumstance with these people? And looking back, I think about these things often. I can remember a number of conversations that I've had with people throughout my life where I look back, I said, oh, I wish I would have said this. And as I was talking with these people, they were saying, you know, you're asking us to to move forward in this direction, but the people we're moving forward in this direction, they're not the people who are responding the way we want them to respond. And so what do I do in this situation with these people? What do you believe in? Or more importantly, who do you believe in? I had a similar conversation years ago with a man who worked at 7-Eleven and I was talking to him about faith in Jesus and how Jesus could meet the needs that he had. And he said, you don't understand. I can't be a follower of Jesus. I can't give my life to God because I cheat on my income taxes. And I had to commend him. He, he was actually more noble than a lot of people I know who believe in Jesus and who do cheat on their t- income taxes. But he said, I can't because I'll be a hypocrite. I, I can't come to God because I don't claim these things on my income taxes because I need this money. And I remember being dumbfounded and thinking, oh gosh, man, what do I do? How do I answer this person who's living this? And I, it just comes crashing into me. It's like, who do you believe in? Do you believe that God can change your circumstances and meet you where you are financially? Or is that too big for him? Do you believe that God can touch your child's heart and get them out of the state of addiction and problem that they're in? Or is that too big for him? Do you believe that God can change your spouse where they're at? Or is that too big for him? Don't you realize it's who you believe in and you don't need much? And he can do so much better than you can imagine or think if you would just trust him a little, if you would step into what you can't see that you would get to know what is now unknowable to you. That you wouldn't look at the circumstance and say, I can't get past this. It's too much for me. You would look at the circumstance and say, this doesn't stand a chance with the God I believe in. He is able to do so much more than I could ask or even think. And he asks me, to believe. And we step and we put our, our toe in the water and say, I don't know if I want to cross here. Moses, deliver these people. Moses, where did it lead them? It leads them to the Red Sea. And he goes, okay, God, I did what you say, but now there's an ocean in front of me. We'll see. And now there's an army behind me. Excuse me, this isn't what I was thinking was going to take place. What are you going to do, God? And some of us find ourselves in that place and we say, okay, I tried it. I did it. I believed. I did it for three days. Three months. For three years. For 30 years, I tried. I believed. And then God says, you're about to see the miraculous, but it's going to require you to believe a little bit more. 
believe in me, the God who is able to do a whole lot more. But we don't want to take that next step. In Ephesians, the last passage we're going to look at, chapter 3. starting at verse 14. Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he might strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. That area that needs to be restored to God, that needs to be reconnected, that's been broken. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Oh my gosh, that's a lot. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. I don't have a lot of faith. It's okay. You only need a little bit. But what you need to do is have a little faith in the right place, in the right one. And if you really did, it would change everything. You would be able to move into that area that seems impossible without fear. You'd be able to hear the voice of God speak to you. Why? Because he is there speaking all around you. You just need to be listening and believe that he is speaking. I went to a football game last night. UCLA won for all you UCLA fans. And in that game, you've got 90 plus thousand people cheering for their team. Well, maybe a few thousand less, the Arizona fans that were in one section. And you know, all these people are hoping for a win. They're wanting to see the team win. They're wanting to see the Bruins take it. And there is just a lot of the first half was terrible. They had so many fumbles or so many fouls. Penalties, they had like 98 yards they gave away in penalties, which was almost as much as Arizona gained themselves. And so it was just terrible, you see, but it doesn't matter how much I believe in those Bruins. I have faith in the Bruins. Yes, you can do it. You see, if I want to see a victory, I actually have to be a Bruin. I actually have to be one of the people who is playing. Otherwise, my 
whistling is just one among 90,000. Now, we all pretended that it was ours that made the difference, right? It's because I went to the game that they won, right? We all want to be that, but really it's the people who are playing that make the difference. And the people who are playing, if they want to see a victory, they have to exercise themselves in the things that are necessary to make the changes happen to themselves so that they can make the catch, so that they can run that fast, so that they can throw the ball, that they can kick the extra point. Unless they are playing in the game, they are not having the effect they need to have. And God is calling us to step into this reality that is all around us, to believe that he is at work in your lives, to do things that you can't even imagine, things that your soul is crying out for, the life that you can imagine but can't see. It's your soul calling out to the invisible God saying, I believe that you're there, I just can't see it. And God says, take the step. Trust in me and see what I will do in you. Pray to me. You think I can't answer prayer? I will move mountains. Mountains don't stand a chance if you have a little faith in the big God. And as we move in this conversation, God is calling us to be a people who believe. Because it doesn't matter if we want to play church and try and organize ourselves. And I, want to, I want to just kind of organize my life. Here's the things I'll do. Here's the things I won't want to do. And that'll make me a person who's good. God says, I'm not interested in playing religion with you. I want to be your God. I want to be a God who you can see, a God who you can hear, a God who works in your life. But you have to believe I'm there. And I will reward you if you really seek me. The ball is on our court now. What will we do? Let's pray. Father, what do you desire to do in our lives? I pray that we would open the eyes of our understanding, that we would have the courage to believe, and that through us, you would change the world, that you would part the seas, that you would raise those who are living as dead and that you would use us to connect the people around us to you. Lord, you've said that many times we have not because we ask not. And Lord, really the reason we don't ask is because we don't believe. So Father, for us who are here who struggle in this, Lord, I, I confess there are times where I don't believe there, there are times when I just answer the man at 7-Eleven. I don't know what to say. And it's just because I don't see it. And so, Lord, for us who are here who, who don't see, we confess we need help. We're like Thomas. 
Lord, we want to see your hands. We want to see your side. But you would tell us, even as you told him, blessed are those who have not seen, yet still believe. Let's take a time and come before God. And as we worship him in song, let's commit our hearts to him. Let's commit our doubts to him. And most importantly, let's open up our lives to him and believe that he wants to do amazing things in us. Let's worship the Lord and I encourage you to worship him freely. If you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to kneel, you can kneel. Take a step towards the invisible God so that he can do mighty things in you. God bless you guys. Have a great Sunday and the rest of the weekend. Why don't we stand together and we're going to close in one last song.